Uh, today, we're going to start out in Genesis chapter 1. I'm really excited to be able to talk today. And I was thinking about it. You know, life is full of transitions. While the pastor was just talking, I sat and I was like, I remember when there used to be pews. I used to be sitting on pews right here. And now you guys got comfy seats that move and all the stuff underneath them. There's still some holes in the carpet from the pews. Um, but, <laughs> you know, so, you know, nothing is permanent. Things change in life. We're constantly moving and going. You know, and it seems like as soon as we become comfortable with where we're at, something changes. You know, I was thinking about it, as soon as you figure out school, you graduate. And in my case, you go back to school. Um, I'm still waiting to finally graduate and be done with school. <laughs> but, you know, as soon as you figure that out, then you start working. And as soon as you figure out what it means to work, you get married. Or not. And then maybe you have kids. And that messes everything up. Um, and I'm not quite sure what happens after that, so I'll defer to the older generation, but I'm sure that changes some too. Yeah, um, I hear that. <laughs> Holding on to that and claiming it by faith, you know. And so there's change constantly. And I was thinking about it, and in my life I began uh, recently to start taking um, a day planner type journal thing because I was told that if I do this I can become more productive in my life and I can accomplish more. So I have, and I have sections to write up my day when I wake up and they call it time blocking. So you write down everything you're going to do for the day and the time you're going to do it in. You don't do anything else during that time. Well, that's great on paper. <laughs> you can highlight it all you want, but then your day happens. And what happens is there's other people in your day <laughs> and they have their own time block <laughs> and it doesn't always match yours. And I was like, man, so the first month I did it, well, I haven't even gotten through, I'm, I might be a month now in, but I did my month calendar in this thing, and afterwards, I got done. By the end of the day, I'd gone back and white out the whole month, because it didn't apply anymore. The best of my plans had been laid to waste by everyone else's plans. I had plans I didn't even know about. <laughs> it was crazy. And so, like, now I carry white out, and first service, I realized I probably should be doing my plans in pencil. Like, instead of pen, and, and with that, and I was going through, and I was like, man, no matter what I do, no what I schedule, something else comes up. Like, that is so stressful. That is so overwhelming. No matter how much I try to control what's happening in my life, what's going on, the situation that I have, something changes it. I get a different idea, or a better way, or someone else has a different idea for my time, or anything, and then, you know, I think some of us can relate to that, right? Do I have any, like, to-do list people here? Yeah, you wake up and make a to-do list, first thing on your list is to make a to-do list, <laughs> then you can cry. maybe not that simple, right, and make your bed, something you know in your list, I, if I make a list, I'm going to at least put one thing I can accomplish on that list, then I'm going to cross that off, because it makes me feel better, <laughs> if I don't get anything else done, I did that. Right? See, if you make a to-do list, just put that as your first thing, to make a to-do list. You will always succeed at that if you do it. Yeah, that one was not in the notes. You're welcome. Um, but, you know, and you think about it. So you make all these plans, you make a to-do list, but there's always another list. If I made a to-do list today, tomorrow, I'm going to have to make another one because there's more stuff that needs to get done. Right? And so as we go through that, like, that can be so overwhelming. That can make, that, like, I'm kind of anxious right now talking about it. Just thinking, because I'm on vacation, but when I go home, I know there's going to be a whole bunch of lists that I have to do. None of them are the ones I wanted to do. But, so, but in that, you can uh, grab hold of that feeling of being overwhelmed. Because what it does 
is that feeling of inside of you is a marker to help identify where our heart and our mind is in relationship to God's will for our life. See, what happens is when we grab hold of that, it identifies the areas where I've lost focus in my life. Philippians 4 breaks it down where, God's, where um, Paul's talking and he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... Put to practice what you've learned. I, I paraphrased a little bit of that just so we could see it because in Philippians he's saying, Be well, that's really hard to do if I'm in control, right? Amen. Like if I determine what's going to happen and I set my plans, that, it, I, I can get anxious when stuff starts to change in my life. When things aren't working the way I wanted them to work, I can start to get a little worked up. I can start to be, worry about something happened when, but what I have to realize is that I'm not in control. Like the first thing I realize, if I realize that I am not in control, then I can, my, my shoulders can start to go down. I always talk to uh, Jeremiah, Pastor Jeremiah at uh, the intersection in Gettysburg, and uh, when he goes on vacation, he said it takes about three days for his shoulders to start going down when he goes on vacation and start relaxing because of the weight and the concerns of all the responsibilities he has at work, and I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, that's so true. We take on these responsibilities, right? We take on these concerns in our life, and it's like we have to control what's going on around us, but what God says is, hey, chill out. I got this, right? And so as we look at it, when we surrender to God and identify that he's in control, then our anxiety and worry can begin to fade away. The first step to becoming that, overcoming that feeling of overwhelming uh, anxiety or concern is to begin to submit myself to God and say that you are in control of my life. If you'll go with me to uh, Genesis chapter 1, and starting in verse uh, 1, why do that? Honey, can you hand me that water that's under the desk? How many know Genesis chapter 1? If you've been in church, you've probably heard this before. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. You know, as I was praying and preparing today, uh, God placed this on my heart. And I was like, you know, that really has nothing to do with anything I want to talk about, God. Uh, I know you made the earth, right? That's, I'm standing on it. But the reality is that it has everything to do with my life. The reality that God made the earth has everything to do with where I am in today. He created the environment that I'm in. The situation that my, I find my life in, God created and then so when I look at it, see, there's moments in our life that it may feel like God is not there. It may look like your life is void of purpose or direction. You may simply feel overwhelmed by the level of uncertainty you have for your life. But can I tell you that in the middle of those feelings, God is working. Yeah. See, it says, in the beginning, God created, and then his spirit moved upon the darkness in the midst of our uncertainty God is working and he is moving on our behalf 
So as we do that, you know, John 16, 33, it says, I've told you all this so that you know that you may have peace in mind. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Great. But take heart because I've overcome the world. You see, it's not that we won't hit hard times. It's not that the situations in our life will always work the way we want it to, but it's that God has already overcome it. See, when I say that I have to overcome it, you know, so many times I think, man, I have to figure this out. There's a problem. I have to fix it. I blame my dad for that trait. But, you know, because <laughs> if you think like that, but that's how we approach life, right? So what do I need to accomplish? What do I need to do? There are times that I cannot fix it. There are times that I cannot overcome what's in front of me. But if I know who I am in Christ and I know that he has already overcome it, then I can hold on to that, that I will get through the situation. So in those moments of uncertainty, God's spirit is hovering over. He's working on our behalf. I love the writer of Hebrews. In chapter 13, verse 5, he says, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. I love the New Living Translation for the way it says it. I will never fail you. How many people have been failed in life? How many people have failed someone? How many of us have let someone down? To the bet we try, I, I never purposely try to let someone down. And yet, like every time I do, I always wind up coming short. I can never meet every need that is in front of me. Like, I love my wife. But if I am her source, if I am the answer to all her needs, sorry, babe. <laughs> I'm going to let you down. But if God is her source for her need, then I can come alongside and partner with her, and we can walk together and accomplish a purpose that is bigger than both of us. So how we react in the moments of uncertainty and change reveals the preparation that we've made throughout our lives. When we take time in our lives to prepare for what happens, then we know how we're going to respond. See, I make that daily plan, and I've never gotten to where I filled in every hour of my day in my time blocking. There's like always space. There's always extra time. And a lot of times I'll take it and I'll prioritize it. So if I have extra time, am I going to make family time? Am I going to make it personal time? Maybe I can work on another project. But what happens is if I plan out, if I begin to prepare for what my day looks like, then I know that if something else rises up, where can I deal with it? That's the whole point of life. How do I begin to prepare for what's in front of me? So as we walk through time uh, with God, as I begin to pray and I begin to read his word and I begin to make those a priority in my life, what it does is it allows for me to have the ability to know what's come up against me and prioritize where that fits in my life. Do I need to even give this acknowledgement? Do I even need to recognize what's in front of me or what someone else is saying or, or is it just a distraction to get me off of my aim for where God has me to go? If you guys will, Luke 19, in verse 1, starts the story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. 
And um, I love this passage because, you see, it is Zacchaeus was not a uh, follower of Christ. He was a tax collector. He was actually someone who had a reputation uh, in the community. But Jesus ignored that reputation in hopes of change. In hopes that Zacchaeus' reaction to the suddenly of Christ would display a shift in his identity. You see, a change in character always shows a change in identity. When we identify with Christ, we see a shift and a change in our character. If you would read with me in verse 1, let's read the story together. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region and had, come, had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Then Jesus came by. He took up Zacche- looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. For if I had cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back Four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. As we read that passage today, we see a shift in identity in Zacchaeus. At the beginning, we do not see a generous and trustworthy man. We see someone who has questionable character. We see someone who's taken advantage of others in their life. We see someone that other people don't like. And yet we also see Jesus who takes advantage of the situation he's in. See, at the beginning, I love it because Jesus says, I must be about my father's business, right? In Scripture, he says, I must, I have a purpose. What was Jesus here for? He says that then, he says, I'm here to seek and to save the lost. And then in this moment on his walk through the town, he sees this little guy up in a tree. Like, that should be on YouTube. Like, right? Like, it's, it's a crazy story. Like, who climbs trees to see people? Like, I don't, I, I haven't climbed a tree in years. Right? But he's climbing. So one, it actually shows more of Zacchaeus' heart than what people have perceived. Everyone had seen how Zacchaeus was in business and presumed that he would not be someone that would be worthy of Christ to go after. But Jesus said, this person is climbing above everyone else to see what God is doing. Jesus had taken time to be aware of his surroundings, to see the need that was in front of him, and reached out no matter what anyone else thought about it. And in that moment, see Zacchaeus, we see a shift in his identity. We see him moving from taking advantage in business to giving back more than he ever took. He moved from identifying on what he could get out of a situation to what he could give in a situation. 
And that is such an example of what Christ does when we align with him. See, the grace of God comes into our life in order to affect change. See, the grace of God demands change. It never leaves us where we start. John 8 and 11 is where Jesus um, talks to the woman who is about to be stoned. And at the end, after everyone left, after Jesus talked to every person that was going to stone her, he said, where are those who accuse you? She said, they're not here. He said, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. The grace that met her in charity brought clarity to her life and demanded that she change. It did not leave her in the mess that she was at. It did not say, I love you, now go back to being a prostitute. It said, there is freedom from where you're at and hope for a future. So in that, we are called to be changed by grace through the faith. That's the gift of God to make it through the moment. The grace to change from where we've been to where God has for us to go. Often, you know, I've, I've been working on doing some more writing in my life because I'm not busy enough. And um, I, Facebook and social media has these great algorithms that determines what you want to see in, when you scroll through it. And so as I started looking at that and looking up other people and researching, um, all of a sudden I get all these advertisements and uh, sponsored posts for people who have found out how to be successful, right? They've, I've made six figures in six weeks, and if you sign up for my master class and do everything I do, you can make six figures in six weeks too. I'm like, who are you? I don't even, like, I don't know you. I've never seen you before, like... It, it was crazy. But as we looked at it, as I was going there, I was like, you know, that's so true of culture in that we look at, you know, I need to change or I need to do what they're doing. What you're doing is working for you, so that must be work, what needs to work for me. But if I apply what someone else is doing, then I miss what God's trying to do in my life. I got ahead of myself. My brain got ahead of my notes. But you see, because the, 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 the truth is that as we go through um, life, it resembles the questions of, that we ask. So um, when we look at the situations we're in, When things don't go our way, when I don't make six figures in six weeks, like the guy said I would after I paid to go through his class to train me how to make six figures in six weeks, what do I do? You know, oftentimes when things don't go my way, when I don't get what I want, I go, God, why aren't you working on my behalf? And then I get super Christian and go to like scripture verses, go, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. But I have to finish the verse. I have to finish the thought that Paul writes. I have to go and read through and say, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, it's according to his purpose. What is God doing? What good is God doing for those who love him? It is a call for God to accomplish his purpose. The good in the earth is the grace and redemption of Christ in our lives. 
And so when we shift from why to what, we begin to experience breakthrough in our identity. It's a change of question. The questions that I ask myself in life matter. If I have a why me mentality, then I actually have a doubt mentality. See, why doubts purpose. But what changes the question? When I begin to ask what in my life, I begin to ask a question of faith. When I say, God, what are you trying to do in my life? What are you trying to do through me to accomplish your will for me and for those around me? And when we can answer what, it shifts the who, the when, the why, and the where. When I begin to ask, what are you trying to do in this situation? I begin to see that where I'm at, whether it's hard, um, whether it's not what I want, begins to have purpose and meaning. Um, Pastor has been preaching, you guys have been going through a year of exodus, a year of coming out. And I was thinking about it and praying on it, and I love being able to listen to the sermons and uh, hearing Pastor, I got to grow up listening to Pastor Don preach not only on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday as well. <laughs> and, but in, in Exodus, right, uh, coming out, they came out of Egypt. But I was thinking about it, they went into Egypt. So often we place the blame of our life on where we are at instead of realizing that God is using where we are at to make who we are. So Egypt actually was provision for the nation of Israel. We see that Israel actually saved them from destruction in Genesis 50. They actually went there and they became a great nation in Egypt to the point where Egypt got scared. Like that's what happened God had blessed them so much in Egypt that they got scared. They said, oh man, we better do something. They're going to take us out. We got to take them out before we, they take us out, right? And so, but what happens is if I place my identity in Egypt, I miss it. And what happens is Egypt does not define me. It exposes who I am. The situation that I am in does not make the man the situation exposes the man that I am inside. So where I am is what matters is what I do in the moment. See, Israel came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness. Well, thanks a lot, God, right? And to the point where they were there, but see, the wilderness was a preparation into the promised land. They could not reach where they were going without first going through the desert. In our lives, we cannot reach where we were going if it is all great, right? We cannot always see what's ahead of us or the reason where we're at. And so if I always ask, why am I here? I miss what God is trying to do in the moment. Romans 9.17 actually says it that, 
in verse 17, it says, For the scripture says that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you to spread my fame throughout the earth. God created Egypt in order to display his power and make his name great. Just maybe could the situation that I am in be the potential for God to make his name great in the earth. So what am I here for when I shift my why to what we begin to see breakthrough in our identity? Our who shifts from me to God. The when shifts from some other time, maybe later or in my past, to right now. The where shifts from somewhere far removed to God working right where I am at. And my why shifts from my own agenda to taking ownership of my part in God's purpose. Uh, I recently had read a book for uh, my graduate studies, and in it, it was actually, um, it talked about writing your story, about co-authoring your life with God. That God has actually taken the time to begin writing and then asked you to come alongside and write the story with him. To choose how you will contribute to the story that he has, to the plan or purpose that God has coming in, this, in the earth. He says, I want you to partner with me and begin to write how you will contribute to what I am doing. He didn't say, I want to write this and then have you do it. Um, I've experienced a lot of that. I was in the Air Force, like Dad said, for 12 years, and there weren't always a lot of choices. Um, I did not have to worry about what I was going to wear in the morning. That kind of hurts me now, because <laughs> I just keep wearing out the same shirt. But <laughs> then I realized I have to actually go shopping for new clothes uh, more than once every 12 years. But the tr so I didn't have a lot, but that's not how God works. A lot of times we think, God, I want you to just make the decision, right? God, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And God, God tells us why he's here, but it's not that specific. It's not to the point where he says, I want you to wake up, eat eggs and bacon, right? Yeah, that was for you, dear. And then go to work at this job for this many years. And you, you know what I'm saying, right? The specifics of decisions. He's actually said, I've given you a brain to make choices and to do it. I was, I was praying, and I didn't have this in first service, but during worship, um, I was thinking about it. Because oftentimes, like, we ask that, why am I here? What is my purpose? And I think it's specific for right now for this service. But... When we begin to um, ask the what, the why of our life aligns with the will of God, and it goes back to Psalms 37, 4. It says that take the light in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. And a lot of times, um, you know, you thought about it, and it's like, yes, I get what I want. <laughs> right? If I say I love God, I'll get what I want. But can I just maybe uh, reframe that in a little different light? If I love God, I begin to create an attitude of submission to where I am open for him to place desires in my heart. 
I begin to learn what God has for my life, and I begin to see that what's coming out of the inside of me aligns with the purpose that God has in the earth, that my desires become his desires, that my thoughts become his thoughts, that what I want to do isn't just about me, but it's also about that what is God doing in the earth. If the worship team could uh, begin to come back, begin to close today, There are times in life when things get hard. Every time that Israel began to take their eyes off of what God was doing or off of their identity as the children of God, they began to question their purpose and look to the world surrounding them for meaning. Today, I think that is happening a lot. When we look for meaning outside of God, we begin to lose our purpose. When I look to things or titles or positions become the basis of my meaning, I began to lose my identity. I've never been meant to identify myself as a pastor. I never was meant to identify myself as a uh, military member. I was never meant to identify myself as a carpenter or as a plumber or as anything other than the one thing that Christ has identified me as, and that is a son or a daughter of God. When I identify myself as a child of God, then I can align myself to knowing I always have a purpose. No matter what I wake up to do on Monday, right? Everyone loves Mondays, right? (laughs) I'm I'm convinced. (laughs) But when I have an identity of knowing that God has placed me where I am, and that my identity as a child of God brings a purpose to what I'm doing, that the situation that I'm in, the job that I am, the the relationships that I have are for a reason, then I have a purpose behind it. It's not just I'm waking up to go to work to get a paycheck to pay the bills, to be able to feed the kids, to clothe the kids, so I keep the kids, so that I can do maybe something on the weekends, right? It's that I'm waking up so that I can fulfill the purpose that I was created to do. Um, Esther 4, verse 13 through 14 says Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. You see, Esther had been placed in this position where she should have never been. By all rights, she should have never been in a position to talk to a king. But she was. It says, Mordecai said, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows? Perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Who knows if you were made be at the place you are at for such a time as this. I believe today that we can excel in the situation that we are in if we simply begin to ask the right questions. If we begin to shift from why is this happening to me to what are you trying to accomplish in my life? What are you trying to accomplish through my life? when I begin to submit myself 
in the moment I begin to see the reason. Carrie Newhoff is a uh, pastor in Canada, and in one of his books, he quoted that the greatest enemy of future success is your current success. Your greatest hindrance to your future success is your current success. The things that I am doing right now could prevent me from future success. What Zacchaeus was doing was very successful. He had enough money to pay people back four times what he had taken. And yet, God had called him to be more successful. If he continued to do, maybe there's something I am continuing to do that is hindering me from stepping into the full provision and promise that God has for me in my life. Now, there are things that we must continue to do. I must continue to be in the word. I must continue to pray. I must continue to build the foundation. But then, what am I supposed to step up on? It's not change for change's sake. It is change to develop and grow. It's changed to move on top of what I've been called to do. I've been called a child of God. Now, what does a child of God do? What does a child of God look like? What does a child of God say? What does a child of God, how do they love? How do they move into the will and the promise of God? Life, I believe, is defined by moments. There are times and moments in our life that define us. And I believe right now that God has placed you in this specific place at this specific moment to accomplish only what you can do. You are uniquely gifted for the work in front of you. God has given you the tools and the ability to perform something that no one else can do. And when we choose not to step out into those moments, it is felt. When I don't follow after God, when I don't have the awareness to say, God, what do you want to do in this situation? How do you want me to interact with my coworkers? It is felt in that place. You see, our purpose is connected directly to our identity. Jesus said it in Luke 19 at the end, in verse 10. Well, in verse 9, it says, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. The job, the purpose that we have is to continue the work that Jesus did. When he left his disciples, he says, I am empowering you to continue the work, to continue the message of hope and of grace, to continue to share the love that I've given to you in these moments. As we begin to ask, what would you have me do? When we start with what, we begin to see how God will use us. As I close, I just want to ask one question. Are you ready to begin asking the right questions? Will you bow your head with me?
Father God, I thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you for your promise. Lord, I thank you that you never abandon or forsake us. Lord, that in the midst of the situations that you are in, you are moving and working in our lives. God, help us to ask the right questions. Lord, help us to push aside the why is this happening to me and begin to start with, God, what are you trying to do in this situation? God, what are you trying to do in my heart? God, what are you trying to do in the people around me? Lord, not that it would be someone else, but that you would show me how I can step in and be a part of what you are doing. God, move upon our hearts. Give us the desires that you have. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Lord, I thank you that you've given us all the opportunity to be an influence in the worlds around us. Give us the clarity and the wisdom through your spirit to be an impact for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us be the people who step out and make your name great 